BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every other week, Lisa Solomon's in the studio, our cannabis expert. And uh, we talk cannabis, 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 cannabis. Say that 10 times, Lisa Solomon. <laughs> uh, and uh, once again, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, today, I texted you this morning. I said, hey, I understand if you don't come in, and here you are. So Of course, I God wouldn't miss you. this. Love uh, coming on here. Uh, and your guest, the cannabis guest today is a cannabis. Well, why don't you introduce uh, Joseph? I'll introduce him. I'm going to, I've got Joseph Friedman here who is a cannabis pharmacist. Before we move to Joseph, I'm going to say a couple of things. One, I wasn't expecting to talk about, but there was just a promo running for the One Earth Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Since we're talking about cannabis, it's important that everyone understands how great hemp is for our environment. Hemp pulls toxins out of soil. It pulls CO2 out of the air. So read about it. Great plant. It can heal the earth and heal our bodies, which is what I wanted to open with. Everything we're hearing about COVID-19, you know, Trump's closing off the border to people from other countries, to imports. You know, most of our medication supply is dependent on components from China or it's actually produced over there. And Joseph, since he's a pharmacist, would know more about that than I do. But cannabis is known to have many antifungal, antiviral and antibacterial properties. And we can grow it here in our earth, in water, in the air. So we need to legalize it and do more research so we can be more dependent on U.S.-made products yeah. for healing. When you say legalize it, you mean at uh, the federal, federal level. It's it's great that it's legal. At the, this is a constant theme on this, sh- on this show, as you know, Lisa. <laughs> Joseph, you probably know this as well. It's a constant theme. It's great that it's legal here uh, in the state of Illinois. I applaud Pritzker and the Democrats for getting it through, but it's just the first step. You got to have it on a federal level. Right. Until it's legal at the federal level, universities and hospital systems are very concerned with doing trials because they're afraid they'll lose their federal funding. Mm -hmm. So. All right. So why don't you introduce this young man that's sitting right here. All right. So Joseph, as I mentioned, is a cannabis pharmacist, and he's also the founder of the only pharmacist owned and operated dispensary in Illinois. And he's also one of the speakers for NECAN, which is the big cannabis convention we have coming up April 3rd and 4th. As of now, that is still on. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Ben. It's great to be here. And uh, it's, it's such a thrill to be able to talk about cannabis, talk about the medical side of cannabis. I think there's a lot of conversations going on about the non-medical side of cannabis, which has happened in Illinois. But at the same time, I do have some stories about you know, some problems with that. But at the same time, it's a good thing. And what do you mean, uh, some problems with the legal, the recreational end of it—is that what you were getting at? Well, you know, you've got you've got uh, a lot of education that's needed in dispensaries, and you know, I'm sort of in a position where I'm seeing a lot of these adverse reactions that are happening throughout the country, where cannabis is recreational. In fact, I had one case where a 33-year-old woman who's got very severe arthritis in her elbows. Who's a who's an experienced cannabis user went to her dispensary and said, "Hey, look, give me the most powerful thing that you have," 
And um, the dispensary agent gave her an RSO, which is a syringe with one cc of concentrated cannabis oil in it. It's the most powerful form of cannabis dispensaries have. And he didn't give her any dosing instructions. She went home thinking that 0.2 mLs on the syringe was going to give her a small dose of CBD and THC. In fact, what she got was a very large dose of THC and a very large dose of CBD. She wound up um, uh, going into an ambulance to the emergency room until she can come down. Mm. All right. So when you tell that tale, where did it go wrong, in your opinion? Like, where did it break down, which leading to the woman in the ambulance? Well, it broke down in two areas. One, people walking into dispensaries should have an idea of what they're putting into their bodies. But do should they be should people be relying on themselves and what they see on the web? I don't think so. I think you need to have educated people in dispensaries that know how to give out instruction. And I think that's going to be a big problem. It's only going to grow. Mm. And that's something Joseph has been working on. Yes, yes. I'm involved with uh, a lot of educational platforms. I give presentations around the country, um, you know, mostly for at, at pharmacy conventions where, you know, pharmacists by nature are conservative. And what I try to do is get them to realize that, hey, this is medicine and we have to treat it like that. And I'm not saying that cannabis is really dangerous. There's a lot more dangerous things out there, opioids. And we have a problem with that, of course. But at the same time, um, you know, we have to be careful, you know, especially for the senior citizen or the person who has, you know, uh, comorbidity, a lot of conditions where they have to be walked through the process of how to take cannabis. Well, let's go. Let's w- walk people through that process. Talk about that. Okay. Well, you know, we used to have in my dispensary um, an intake form similar to what you would fill out when you go into a doctor's office for the first time. So we would get a lot of basic information, demographic, family history, their their condition, but most important, some of the information, um, you know, eating, sleeping habits, drinking, things like that. W- one of the more important things that we would focus on is the drugs that they're on. And cannabis is not benign. I mean, there was a, a an article in the 2014 December issue of Pharmacy Times Uh, by a couple of professors at the University of Washington where they discussed all the potential drug interactions that that can occur with cannabis. And so just by doing these consultations, I was able to recognize not only the drugs that these patients were taking that were causing some of their issues, but also potential drug interactions with cannabis. Uh, the, the problem I have with cannabis, uh, I haven't taken it in a long, long time, but the problem I have with it is it just freaks me out. I always think I get the worst uh, sense of who my, I, I am, uh, Joseph. I'm like, oh, man, I'm no good. I'm terrible. Uh, I, I'm terrible at absolutely everything. That and the fact that I cannot have a, a sentence I, when I get I can't finish a sentence I start. I can't follow what a person is saying. So I, I have my own adverse reaction to it. Let's deal with the first one, the sense of, of overwhelming inadequacy that I'm not the only person who that works that way. There was a great Larry David bit in one of his uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm shows where he ends up having smoked a joint yelling at his at himself in the mirror, you're no good, you're worthless. So talk about that. Uh, how common is that a reaction? Very common. Paranoia and anxiety are two things that can happen with too much THC. And we don't know how much THC because it's different for everybody. So I think, Ben, you know, whatever you took, you probably got it from the black market. Um, Take probably out of that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
and you weren't given good instruction. Now, uh, instruction? <laughs> it was Nickelback Bernie, man. There were no instruction. But uh, yeah, go ahead. But 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 to to your point uh-huh. is you know one inhalation might be enough. You know, you, you know sometimes you know smoking you know a half a joint. You're going to have these problems. Uh, not everyone has these problems, but paranoia and anxiety are certainly a problem. And when we have patients coming in with PTSD and anxiety, I'm real careful with those patients. What do you, why do you say that? Well, because THC can exacerbate paranoia and anxiety. So we really want to titrate the amount of CBD with the THC and the other cannabinoids to make sure that these hypersensitive patients that have these potential issues don't have these issues when they use cannabis. Are you've given a lot of acronyms here. Why don't you break them down and explain what they are. I mean, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. But talk about the, the uh, cannabis-related acronyms. You oh, okay, so THC is the active component of cannabis tetrahydrocannabinol and uh, CBD cannabidiol. THC ha- is, has the psychoactive properties of cannabis. Um, you know, people have been getting high for thousands of years, and THC has been behind that. CBD has no psychoactivity. They both are anti-inflammatory, neuroprotective, and and what we don't know, if someone comes in with severe pain, is it going to be CBD or is it going to be THC that's going to help them? So I I consider THC and CBD to be the power couple, and what we want to do is start higher with the CBD, lower with the THC, and then titrate based on how well they do. Um, In the dispensary I operated, we hit the bullseye 50% of the time. Um, with people coming back and saying, that was great. It really worked. It helped my pain. It helped whatever. Uh, the, other, the other 50% of the time, we have to, you know, they come back two, three, four times, and we find the products and the doses that work for them. But we never had patients that had really bad adverse reactions because we're always careful. A 50% success rate the first time out is really high because everybody is different. And something that works for them one day might not work for them a few weeks later their body changes. So this is something that also the, where the patient needs to take responsibility for their care and they need to speak with the person who's advising them. They need to be aware of the relief they're getting, the symptoms that are happening. I mean, there's nothing that's going to be life-threatening from this, but it's a question of if they're getting the relief they need or not, or if they're getting increased anxiety. And we also had samples of this product coming out of Arizona called Undo, U-N-D-O-O, Undo is a gel cap. It's got vitamin E, the good kind of vitamin E that you take orally, and um, an olive tall. Olive tall is um, a molecule that resembles the tail end of the THC molecule. And what it does, effectively does, is if you take too much THC, Ben, you're 18 years old, you're with your girlfriend in your parents' house, and you're high as heck, and your parents come home and you want to come down real fast, you take a couple of (laughs) undo capsules, and within 5 to 20 minutes, you're composed. And so undo can... Can undo. Undo. Duh. undo. Does it bind with the THC and pull it out of your system? Is it, that what it does? What it does Undoobie. is... Undoobie. It, <laughs> it occupies. It occupies the cannabinoid receptor site. So it doesn't... If you're using cannabis for pain, it doesn't affect that, but it does take away the psychoactivity. Wait, so time out. Excuse my utter ignorance about this. You Can, can you get undo just... Off the shelf? Uh, it's available online. We had samples in my dispensary. I had an, a, a relationship with the company, and we, I used to give them up. To the seniors that came in, the ones that I was very concerned, okay, here is your, 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 your safety net. You know, dehaze the blaze. <laughs> 
man, I wish they had undo back in the day. It could have really helped me out a lot. Uh, all right, let's go through the process. Let's say I walk in uh, to your pharmacy and I want to get back. Dispensary. My bag. <laughs> dispensary. And I say, I, I want to get back uh, smoking or taking uh, cannabis. Uh, I always look at Lisa. Cannabis, Ben. Cannabis. Uh, and uh, so what, what do you, what's the process you lead me through? What are the questions you ask me to try to figure out or ascertain, you know, what the, the proper dosage or the, the right product to use? Le- lead me through that. Well, first, I want to know how experienced are you? Do you have no experience? Do you have moderate experience? You know, have you been doing this since the 60s? Okay. Or- 70s. <laughs> I'm not that old. God damn, Joseph. <laughs> But you, I want to know what your experience level is because yeah. my, my, my presentation is going to be different if you're very experienced versus you're totally inexperienced. Uh, right now, call me inexperienced because it's been since like 1980 or 81. So there you go. I would say I'm not that experienced, Joseph. I haven't uh, uh, indulged since uh, Ronald Reagan was president. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, I want to understand that, and then I want to understand what's going on with you. What are your biggest concerns about using cannabis? Um, you know, what have you heard? Of, is there still a stigma in your... You know, I had so many people walk into the dispensary that would say, I'd never thought I'd see, I'd be in a place like this. This is crazy. And so, you know, I have to moderate my presentation, my consultation, based on their own experience. And then I would go through... Um, and I had I had this great uh, sheet that was produced by a nurse in Oregon that went through all the different routes of administration pictures. So people like pictures, and then the 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 positives and the negatives of those different routes of so routes of administration, inhalation, edibles, tinctures, topicals, suppositories, okay, and and we would go through all of that. And as I went through each one of these routes of administration. I would take a look at their face and see if there seemed to be acceptance or they were aghast with just, oh, my God, I'm never smoking that stuff or I'm not sticking that up my butt. (laughs) (laughs) Women have another option for suppositories, too. True. Thank you. Now, uh, excuse my utter ignorance, but why would someone take it as a suppository? I've got a story for that. Go ahead. (laughs) I had a patient come in, a a very nice lady. She's a clinical psychologist. She sits down for a living. She had a lot of pain back there. Mm -hmm. Um, She tried a couple of products. No, not great. You know, I mean, maybe, you know, some reduction in pain. She came in one day. One of my dispensary agents said, hey, have you ever thought about suppositories? She goes, well, no. So she bought a pack. Five days later, she came back and she cleaned us out. That route of administration made all the difference in the world for her. And because it's great for the localized pain relief and you it. don't get the high, correct? Yeah, you don't get high when you use a suppository. You shouldn't get Why? high. It's just the way your body's set up. There, there is science behind it, um, but for the most part, topical preparations and suppositories don't necessarily get you high where you the same dose orally or, or, or an inhalation would so that's just straight up for uh, pain reduction e- e- easing the pain easing right. the pain decreasing the seizure activity um you know, the, the cannabis can be used for so many appetite you know people that have cancer you know there's 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 ways that we we use cannabis for patients that have cancer now, how much have you convinced uh, the pharmaceutical industry, or not for, forget the industry, for, how much you, have you convinced other pharmacists uh, that this is a legitimate aid for people? 
When I first started, my first presentation was in Orlando, and I was in front of a group of pharmacists with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy. And I always start my presentations with an informal survey. You know, let's see a show of hands of all of you pharmacists out there in the audience that believe cannabis, you know, we, we should be involved in this industry. And, you know, five years ago, half the hands went up. More recently, I gave a presentation to a group of Chicagoland pharmacists. There was about 200 pharmacists at a nice dinner. 250 hands went up. There's been a change in a groundswell of interest in cannabis as, as an, an alternative medicine. Yeah. Especially, I think, since they're watching the opioid prescription so much more closely, you have people that are you know, chronic or acute pain sufferers that need an alternate form of pain relief. Exactly. Uh, and... Uh, is there still entrenched opposition from some pharmacists who just say this is like devil's weed? Do you, do you, do you get that attitude to people who just the knee jerk response, the knee jerk opposition that goes back to like law and order types in the '60s and the '70s? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, Ben. I actually have a a, um, a podcast that I do every month or every other month. And um, it's called the Medical Podcast, P-O-T-C-A-S-T. And the last one that I did um, was with a woman who's behind an organization called, um, oh God, Americans Against Marijuana Legalization. And it's, it's severe. I mean, this, this woman who's, who's behind this has a brochure um, that I saw when I was giving a presentation to a, to a bunch of seniors and the senior asked a question, well, I understand cannabis, you know, screws up your immune system. And I said, well, you know, outside of the fact that I know laboratory rats who got skin grafts didn't reject those skin grafts when they got THC. Outside of that, I'm not sure of any issue with cannabis screwing up the immune system. And she gave me this brochure. Anyways, to your point, um, we had a debate on a pod, this podcast. And then coming up in April, I've got a debate with someone who works with her, who's a pharmacist, who's dead, who, who's dead set against this. So, you know, to your point where, you know, are there pharmacists that are definitely against this? Yes, there are. But I think there are more that are looking, and just like doctors, you know, doctors want to see the science. They want to see, you know, something in the New England Journal of Medicine, an article, and, and the benefits. Because I think there's too much information coming out from the federal government that's negative, and this has been going on since the 70s. The opposition, I'm fascinated. I'm going to have to go listen to this this debate between you and this woman from, what is it called? The Amer What's the name of their group? Um, the Americans Against Marijuana Legalization. And is her opposition to legalization entrenched in science, or do you find it seeping out into... It's entrenched in reefer madness. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and the, the, the first big line in, in the brochure that I saw was marijuana... You know, and then a couple of dots, and then a man-made disaster. Well, first of all, it's not man-made, <laughs> so you can just understand how yeah, ridiculous that, that brochure is. That is ridiculous. Wow. But but some of the points that are in the brochure, I actually agree with. You know, we shouldn't be giving it to you know kids, and and, and pregnant women shouldn't be using this, and you know, unless they're under you know proper guidance, and they really can't benefit from the drugs, or there's some issue with the drugs while they're pregnant that could cause an, an issue for their for their for their baby can i ask you a question about that and if you are not comfortable answering it because of the lack of scientific evidence just say so i have people that have approached me that are wanting to get pregnant they've been on benzos 
you know, they successfully transitioned to cannabis and their doctors are saying, get off the cannabis and get back on your benzos if you're going to get pregnant. And they're asking me what they should do. When I was running the dispensary, I actually had two patients that were pregnant and they were using cannabis because it was the only thing that worked. The other stuff didn't mm -hmm. work and was potentially teratogenic. That was my thought. For their, but you know, low birth weight, um, you know, some kind of effect down the road when that kid, after the kid is born, when he's 18, we don't really know. We don't have the science to show or prove that that's gonna be okay. So I think if there's an alternative, if the pregnant woman can stay away from cannabis, it's not a bad idea. But if they're suffering, if they're throwing up, you know, like 10 times a day, it might be the only thing that's that works. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's talk about the federal opposition uh, to legalizing uh, cannabis. Uh, again, we're, it's legal in Illinois, recreationally and uh, medicinally. Uh, Michigan, am I correct? Is it also legal in Michigan? It, it's legal in Michigan, but it's kind of a hodgepodge there. What do you mean? Uh, you know, it's you can you can open up a dispensary, but if the local sheriff doesn't like you, he can shut you down. Is that, isn't that the case here in Illinois? You have to get approval from the municipality. So yeah. that group that Joseph was talking about, this anti-marijuana legalization group, they go around to the different town hall meetings where there's debate about it and they try to shut it down. There was one meeting, someone was telling me they actually asked when people were opposing it, they asked, do you live in this district? And they realized it was just people from this group that were nowhere in the area just trying to keep it, keep dispensaries from opening in the state. You know, it really wasn't their business. Have we come to the point where we are with alcohol? I don't, I'm not even saying we should get to this point, but follow me in this. If you, on, on Tuesday, there's going to be a um, election here in Illinois and uh, every candidate, well, maybe not with the coronavirus scare, but traditionally every candidate has an election night party. And at that party, booze is served. And if it's a winning candidate, it's a celebratory booze fest. And if it's a losing candidate, it's more like drown your sorrows in the booze type of evening. I've been to both, okay? Uh, I've commiserated with the losing candidates and I've celebrated with the victorious ones. And so nobody feels like they have to pretend they're not bought into the alcohol culture. If you follow what I'm saying, Joseph. Sure. Then nobody apologizes for having a bar. In fact, like it's considered like if a candidate's wealthy enough to have uh, a free bar, they're like, whoa, those are where the parties to go to. So I've never seen a candidate apologize for that or, or, or try to, you know, distance him or herself from that, uh, even though people get drunk at a celebratory party and they go out and drive a car. It's a very dangerous thing. Are we... Can you think of any politicians that are openly celebratory about their appreciation of cannabis? No. No, I think there's still too much, too much of a stigma. And, you know, we're not going to see a celebratory event where everyone's smoking a joint or taking an edible. I mean, unless you're at a cannabis convention. Right, because there's still the question of the legality of consuming in public places, if you can do it, if it's at a private venue. There are politicians who I will not name on here who are very open about their cannabis use, past and present. And when they speak at conventions or at different types of you know, cannabis-related events, they talk about it. They're not ashamed of it. They're open. They believe that will help normalize and destigmatize. 
But in terms of a celebratory event, we've got to have those public consumption licenses. And I bet we would have candidates here in the Chicago area that would welcome that. All right. So federally, going back to my original question, how far are we away from legalization on a federal level? Depends upon who gets elected in November. And if someone wants to piss someone off as they're leaving office. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, Joe Biden has said, you know, I, I want to see the proof. I want to see the science. And then we'll talk about, you know, and, and Bernie Sanders just, you know, let's legalize it on day one. Yeah. So, so I, you know, and, and he actually said in one of the debates, you know, it's in the same schedule as heroin. How ridiculous is that? Yeah. No one else said that. So, you know, I think under Biden, it's going to be a lot slower, kind of like the way it's been under Trump. Um, and we'll see what happens. Well, Trump, it's a curious thing. Uh, he had Jeff Sessions. At, we, You and I talked about this a lot uh, back in the day uh, when he had Jeff Sessions as his attorney general. Jeff Sessions was like really ground in reefer madness. His attitude toward marijuana was very bizarre and I'd have to put him on the couch to really figure out where he was coming from with that opposition because there was nothing rational about it. Uh, and as you know, because you're in the industry, it was uh, Sessions' uh, virulent opposition to it that drove so much of the problems that uh, the cannabis industry had in terms of banking, one of our favorite topics when we talk about it. Since Sessions left, I'm wondering, has there been any liberalization in the Trump administration's attitude toward marijuana is it pretty much the same? Well, there was recently an article about Trump changing his direction with regards to cannabis. And in fact, you know, putting together a budget or something where the federal government can go after the medical cannabis um, dispensaries, which is very concerning because when when the when the uh, I forgot what it was, but the um, rule the Cole Memorandum came out. The Cole Memorandum did not allow the federal government to spend any money on pursuing, you know, rec or medical dispensaries. But when that was rescinded by by Sessions, the medical dispensaries were still protected by the War Farbacker Bill. Um, but I think Trump is now reneging on that one so we don't know what's going to happen well let's just explain we've done this in the past but it's really important the coal memorandum was under uh, barack obama explain what the coal memorandum is it it just it had 10 or 15 points and it was just how the cannabis should at the state level should operate and 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 moder, mod, modify itself or not modify but moderate itself mm -hmm. and, and essentially cole was he wasn't an attorney general he was like an under attorney general he was some kind of administrator that's the name cole that's in the he wrote the memorandum right. and it essentially said the federal government uh will not raid medical dispensaries or they'll not crack down uh they'll kind of looked the other way it was sort of like uh don't ask don't tell for cannabis and one of the first things session did was say ah that thing those old ground rules are off and that's a case where like a president using sort of an executive authority determines the federal government's attitude uh toward uh, marijuana or cannabis without actually legalizing it uh, joseph without pushing through bills that would radically change the federal government's attitude toward cannabis right because we have this legalized in 30 states you know in some form medical or recreational um there was protections for the medical side of this business mm -hmm. um and no one and the federal government wasn't touching the rec side but now there's 
you know, there, that could change. I hope it doesn't. I think the federal government is concerned about some other things right now. Uh, so hopefully that's going to be ignored. But, you know, we do have, you know, some issues under the Trump administration. I think we'll have some issues under the Biden administration. I don't think there's going to be those kinds of issues under a uh, Sanders administration. No, legalize right away. So if you're a big believer in legalizing cannabis, you know who your candidate is. Although I throw this out. If Donald Trump is desperate in October, which he very well may be, I wouldn't be surprised. He's so unconventional. His wild card. Yeah, his wild card. All of a sudden, he'll be talking about legalizing uh, cannabis. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm -hmm. Uh, He'd be a phony and a fraud, uh, and he would have wasted four years and put a lot of people and lives in jeopardy. But I wouldn't be surprised. And I want to close with, again, our, my, one of my favorite topics with you, the banking aspect, because uh, the, the, the federal government's opposition uh, to cannabis causes problems for cannabis providers. You and I talked about this at length several times. Is it st- uh, to get just banking services? Is it any better now, Joseph, than it was when we were talking about in 2017? No, it's not. There's still an issue. Um, Banks are still hesitant to do it because what's happening at the federal government, it hasn't changed. The Safe Banking Act, which was supposed to go through, it was passed by the House. Uh, It was defeated in the Senate. Um, And then, of course, the opposition is out there calling that the Safe Vaping Act. You know, they they just make fun of it. So, no, there has been no progress. And cannabis organizations that need banking are having a hard time finding banks to work with them. Mm. So what do they do? People ask me this all the time. So how does a dispensary deal with the money. There are banks, and recently people have spent like weeks researching it and have found a few state banks that will take the money, that will not shut them down. The fees are really high. You know, when Sparky was on, he was talking about that. And I've heard other people say they've found banks, but it's not easy, and it's incredibly costly. Mm-hmm. All right, very good. What do you... Uh run out of time here. Joseph, why don't you give folks uh, your podcast one more time, let them know how they can listen to it and all that good stuff. Well, if you go to the Pharmacy Podcast Network, there's several podcasts that are under that. The Medical Podcast is one of them, and that's the way to to, to find it online. Podcast, P-O-T, get it, D? Podcast. Oh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. And Lisa, you have any updates you want to leave us with? I want to share that the Chicago Flower and Garden Show has canceled the event for next week. They will be running the show some point later in the year. So our talk on growing and harvesting at home is on hold for now. But NECAN, the big convention at which Joseph will be speaking, April 3rd and 4th, at this moment, is still on. We have lots of other great medical experts um, people talking about the legal aspects of it, social equity and advocacy. So that will be great. All right, that's still on. That is still on All at right. the moment, yeah. yes. Well, uh, thank you both for, for coming down and not letting the coronavirus uh, deter you. And I also want to thank our other guests, Jeff Johnson, uh, Miles Kampf-Lassen. Uh, when the day began, I was kind of bummed out. I got to share this with you. I was, I was, the coronavirus was getting to me. That walk through the loop, D, was just something desolate about it. But you guys did a great job. Just the conversation, uh, making me feel better. Jeff Johnson really did a great job. He was just Jeff Johnson, you know, to the, it just, he wasn't going to let a little uh, <laughs> coronavirus deter him, so I'm feeling better about things. And I brought you a gift, a reader coaster. Oh, there you go. Find the right. reader table at events, and you can get one, too. Let's Ooh. keep it right there uh, for all our guests to look at. 
my beloved Chicago reader, love it very dearly. Been working there since the 1980s, I want to say. A long, long my time. My God, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Joseph Friedman, thank you very much. Lisa Solomon, thank you very much. Also want to thank Jeff Johnson, Miles Conflassen, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Lisa Solomon can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White, White Lightning. Lightning. <laughs> Give yourself Thanks, a raise, Dad. take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thank you. Bye. You're going to remember you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time, typically on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Today we are on Facebook Live. Not sure why uh, YouTube wasn't working for us, but... We got up there. We'll be back on YouTube hopefully tomorrow. Find us 1 to 3 tomorrow and check out those backroom deals. No one calls me White Lightning. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. That's correct.